Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rain Stop Play. As the Women's Ashes produces one of the best test matches in decades, we ask the customary questions about women's cricket while also being sure to chat about the match itself. Elsewhere, England still cannot bowl at the death. Reese Topley comes back from the dead. Jason Holder won't stop taking wickets and a team somewhere has won the BBL. We'll review all of that, check in on the PSL and have Zach's quick question all on this week's packed Rain Stop Play. But first... Hello to the panel. We've got a lot to get through, boys. Glenn, hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. We just watched, uh, we delayed the pod to catch the end of a really, really competitive uh, PSL game. So I'm in, I'm in a real good cricket buzz right now. Nice. I can feel it. It's emanating from you through the screen uh, this evening. So that's great to see. We've got a great PSL chat coming up with a very, uh, very special guest later on. Uh, also joining me is Zach. How are you? Yeah, really good. Really enjoyed watching that little bit of uh, PSL with, with you boys. Very exciting finish that. I think we should start doing this for every part and just watch a bit of cricket just to get ourselves pumped up. It's like a little sort of, you know, team thing. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. There's only one place to start this week, and that is with the Test match and the Ashes and one of the most exciting Test matches we've probably ever watched, um, or at least an ending that had all four options, which I can't remember that happening that late into a game. Uh, obviously, it finished in a draw, uh, but with two overs left, England needed 13 runs and Australia needed, needed just one wicket. Uh, England were chasing 257 in the fourth innings. Uh, they fell just short of that, but made the highest fourth inning score in women's test history in the process. They also went along at 5.1 runs per over. Uh, a brilliant declaration from Australia captain Meg Lanning allowed this game to get this far. Australia could have probably just batted England out of the game, taken the draw and moved on to the ODIs, but they didn't. And in the end, it almost felt like neither team was actually that happy with the result. It was like both had a really clear route to go and win this. Uh, England at one point needed 45 runs with seven wickets remaining and 13 or 15 balls before Shrubshaw uh, got run out. Uh, and then Australia, who collapsed England 6-26 in, in the middle there, had a real chance as well in that, in that last over. So, Glenn, you watch this. Um, being in the time zone you're on, you're, you're often up for these early starts in Australia. Me and Zach, unfortunately, asleep on the job. Uh, but just talk us through this last hour and just an amazing finish and a great advert for women's test matches. Yeah, thanks, Dan. You know, we say this a lot on this podcast, but in my opinion, as somebody who loves a load of different sports uh, and a load of different formats of cricket as well, nothing beats test cricket. I think it's genuinely impossible to think of a format of any sport 
that can create such immense drama, such incredible like seesawing narratives within just the space of a couple of days. And this embodied that. I mean, this was, you know, we, we've all talked about the disappointment of the of the Ashes games for England that preceded this. But this really just invigorated me as a fan. I think people across the world were tuned in uh, and just everyone was buzzing. And yeah, you know, Dan, you, you've done a really nice job of just putting the context together there. Um, I watched uh, quite a bit the first day. I watched about three or four hours, a couple of sessions and yeah, it seemed like Oz were going to put on a really big total, which I guess they kind of did uh, as a solid score. They declared twice quite aggressively, and that's something we can get onto a little bit later in this little segment. Um, I think Australia, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, um, the captain played the game really well, played the game for the right reasons. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to build up to the finale because I don't have the words to say how excited <laughs> it was. Um, but yeah, you know, basically, as you said, Dan, you know, the game it seemed unlikely much would be going on with some rain and you know it's a four-day game instead of a five-day game as we're aware um and yeah so australia gave um england what we all thought was going to be a total far far beyond their reach and they'd probably just have to bat out the bat out the day if that was possible like the late evening would you believe it they just go absolute go absolutely ham on the batting uh just incredible stuff high strike rates um all of the top i think five contributing with very solid 30 plus scores and then it looks for a minute as if england are in the ascendancy and they're going to chase as you mentioned a record uh, a record test score uh and then it just completely swings Australia's way. I turned on when the wicket started falling. And I, I think I may well have cursed this because when I was watching Australia bat, we did not get a wicket. I watched three or four hours of cricket and I didn't see an English wicket. I turned on to watch uh, England chase what would be this most historic of wins in, you know, international cricket. And the wickets just start to absolutely tumble. And, you know, it's a football metaphor to say it's a game of two halves, but this is very much a scorecard of two halves. You've got, <laughs> as I mentioned, you've got everyone contributing at the top and you just have a collapse that only England uh, can do. It doesn't matter what the format, what the day, England can collapse with the bat. And it was sad to see. But what was incredible to see is the runs were always chaseable up until that very final, I think, over maybe I think the final two overs. There was still the debate. Do we try and chase this? And this is in the context of a game. If we are to take the ashes from Australia, this is really one we need to win. They have an incredible record of Australia in ODIs, I think a winning streak in the mid twenties. It's ridiculous. Bottom line is, let's be honest, we're we're not going to win three out of three ODIs. I mean, that isn't going to happen. So the fact that the door opened and we had the potential to take the points from this Test match would very much have opened up the whole Ashes to a potential shock England win. So I was astonished. I was elated that we were chasing it and batting so beautifully. Then when the wickets start falling. That's when all the options came on the table, right? As you mentioned, Dan, you know, we've got a win, tie, draw, loss, everything on the table in play um, in the final day of this match, which, I mean, tell me another sport where this kind of just nonsense is possible. And there was an ongoing debate on Twitter, on live blogs about if slash when England should shut up shop. And I like that it really did go to the absolute yeah. climax. When when did it then? Because I... It from what I've read, again, I didn't watch it live and I've seen some highlights. It looked like when Shrubsaw got run out, that's when they were like, and Cross came into bat, that was it like, okay, right, now we can't lose. But I think with with, with Wicket in hand, two Wickets in hand at the time, 
They could have gone for it. It was such a shame she got run out. I couldn't agree more. And Shrubshaw can combat and she uh, can find the boundary as well. So the fact that she was still when she was at the crease, there was the genuine fear for Australia. If we set fields that are too attacking, she can find the boundary and potentially win the game for England. When she got out, that kind of threat, I think, slightly disappeared. What I was surprised by, Dan, watching it live, I thought Oz would actually set some more attacking fields a little bit earlier on towards the end of the game. I think... Not that I'm going to criticise any of the absolutely superb captaincy for this for this match, for the game um, from Australia. But I do think if I had one critique from the limited couple of hours I did see, I do think Australia, if they had put the pressure on England with more aggressive fields towards the end of the game, the final three, four overs a bit sooner. I think this was Australia's match to win in the final 30 minutes. England fully in the ascendancy before then. You know, the shock, the drama, the quality of of, of the batters was unbelievable. But when the tide started to turn, and we all know how English collapses go, right? It's, it's dominoes. I think if the Aussie, uh, yeah, captaincy unit, if the players had just just put pressure on England for one more over because mm. it was only until the very final over that we had a load of, you know, women around the bat. And the we classic, had the classic image of yeah. uh, like all the fielders in. Don't you love to see that? Any test match in like that's class. You, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. So I reckon if they had, if they had done that just six balls sooner, I reckon Oz would have yeah. won it. As it were, you know, fair play. I mean, cross number 11 batted out 12 balls. I mean, that is really impressive. Um, the other thing was, you know, with Eccleston at the crease, um, she had such a superb inning, such a superb partnership um, with Heather Knight in that first innings, which really rescued England. The game was pretty much gone until, as we'll get onto in a second, Knight's remarkable score in that first innings, 168 not out, with amazing support from Eccleston for 34. Yeah, with Eccleston at the crease, with maybe a bit of momentum, there was always the thought that, hey, maybe, maybe there is the game still in play right at the end so yeah i mean i'm not going to do it justice here but but watching it live was a was a privilege and wow what a as a test match as a spectacle both teams i mean kudos to australia for declaring so aggressively and potentially trying to force a result because they there was you know there was the chance if england had chased this it would have been pretty embarrassing and there would have been questions asked of the aussie leadership because it was a declaration they didn't have to make because Mm. This was a test that England had to win. This is not a must-win test for Australia in the context of the series. So kudos to Australia. I mean, England should be proud. I know they're going to be disappointed that they didn't see themselves over the line for that record chase. But my goodness, I mean, what a what a amazing testament to, to everything that's great about test cricket. Yeah, so great to see the, the carrot dangled, as it were, by, by Meg Lanning. And I can't believe England, I can't believe England went for it, obviously. But to go at 5.1 for that long uh all the batters from Beaumont down to Dunkley so that's two to five we're going above 85 strike weight uh, strike rate Dunkley at back-to-back sixes which was absolutely insane and then that collapse came 26 for six in the end and I think you're right Glenn that Australia could have squeezed a bit more and maybe got those wickets a bit earlier but yeah fantastic cricket we got the series now poised at eight four and as you said Glenn um England got to win all three ODIs now to win the Ashes so that draw was very good for Australia. Um, Heather Knight then, uh, 168 not out in the first innings. Um, England made 297 in that first inning. She made 168 of those. No other batter made more than 35. Uh, Eccleston's 34 off a lot of deliveries uh, was the one bit of support there. Um, and then a, just a 48 in the second innings and a captain's performance. And I can't think of a, a game more dominated by one player in, in a long time. Um, on top of the fact 
that this was the closest test match I could think of for a heck of a long time. Um, Zach, it's an advert for the women's game. Uh, why aren't they just playing five-day cricket anyway so we can stop having this chat? Why, why limit them to four? And what's your sense that we're going to start seeing more women's test cricket? Um, today, uh, England have been announced they're going to play South Africa at home in a test series. That'll be South Africa's first test since 2014. Um, you know, this was on the world stage as well. There's not a, there's not a lot of other cricket going on at the minute, so this kind of just dominate the top of the cricket news cycle, which is great. So, do you see more women's cricket coming along? And when are they just going to start playing five days like the men? Yeah, I think it's a it's a good time currently. You know, it, things are getting better. We're moving in the right direction. We've had three test matches in this this year. Last year, within the within the last year, I keep forgetting yeah. January. You know, to, that's a good way. That's a better that way out. to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, within the last year, we've had three women's test matches, and you know, South Africa playing another test. It's good. Them playing five days it was actually. I was lucky enough to see Will yesterday briefly, um, and we were chatting about this. And I, although I do think five days should be implemented, I don't think. So I've seen this on Twitter, and I agree with. It. I don't think it should be obligatory because. That for other nations that don't even play four-day cricket at the moment, you know, West Indies don't really, although they're they're playing a really good series against South Africa at the moment, and that went to a super over today in an ODI. Uh, something we can cover next week on that once that series is concluded. But they don't play Test cricket very often. Neither do teams like Pakistan or Sri Lanka. So if they couldn't weren't able to fund playing for five days, if they could just play for three it would still be a step in the right direction. Although, obviously, you know, even more of those games would end in draws, but it's it would be something. It's better than nothing. And it all, it all comes down to domestic structure, though, because so many of these players don't just haven't played Red Bull cricket before they have to go and step in. You know, we had Alana King made her debut and was very good, but hasn't really played any Red Bull cricket because the structure doesn't exist. We have some very limited structure, but it's not professional. And we've spoken about this before on the podcast for four-day cricket in England, but it doesn't happen. I think this summer in England, there is about three or four weeks between the end of, I can't remember which way around it is, the end of one tournament and the beginning of the next for the women. So why isn't there even a kind of, not even a franchise, but maybe like a four-team mini-league? Why don't they just put that in there? Four-team mini-league where they do, each team plays each other once and then do a final. Something like that just to get some Red Bull cricket. Because it's impossible to know who the next stars are in that format when they don't really play it. It's almost like they just graduate from the one day side, don't they? And go, oh, chuck at the red ball. I'm sure she'll be fine. But that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. It's obviously not quite as simplistic as just handle women's cricket five days. So, you know, he's saying sort of give the Ashes a five day test match, give England, India, India, Australia a five day test match and just sort of work it out on a sort of, uh, you know, it, how young women's test cricket is around the world in other nations. You're saying just give them a bit of time to get used to playing it and, and get the funding in first, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like if if they're not going to be able to fund five days because it's five days, then I think that shouldn't be the barrier. Yeah. You know, yeah. If we can have five days for these bigger, you know, these nations that already play test cricket, then yes, we should have it. But if teams can't do that, then they shouldn't be stopped play, from playing Red Bull cricket because then they'll they'll never develop. Yes, yeah, spot on. Great point. Uh, really good point. I thought of that one. Uh, so, as I said, the series is poised at 8 4. Uh, England got to win all three ODIs. They start on Thursday, as you said, Glenn. I think that's probably a little bit out of their reach with Australia's form. But 
listen, it's been a really good start to the Ashes. And after those damp squibs, literally the two T20s being rained off, that was a has reignited this Ashes a little bit, I think. And you never know. So keep an eye out for that. That starts uh, on Thursday. Over to the Caribbean boys and uh, let's go have a look at the men. A really fun T20 series, isn't it? Didn't we enjoy this? West Indies ended up winning it 3-2. Uh, fun was had by all, I said in, in our notes. And I loved how this was at the same ground five days, Saturday to uh, five T20s from Saturday to Sunday over just over a week. I just really enjoyed it. It was just really fun. I think all the teams enjoyed themselves by the look of it. Good crowd in, uh, good away support, good home support as well. Um, but that's my happiness over because England can't bore at the death, unfortunately, and it's driving me mad. I think it's driving a lot of England cricket fans mad as well. Um, before we do that, though, let's chat about the West Indies who won this series 3-2, of course. Um, Jason Holder, player of the series, he had to be. took four in four wickets to end the series. Um, he stuck on, will he get five in five whenever the next player a T20? Is, is, if four in four is a double hat-trick, what the heck is five and five? I don't know. I, I, I hope he doesn't get it for that reason. Uh, he finished with 15 wickets at 9.6. Um, uh, Rodman Powell, uh, Hussain, there's some big names coming out of this, Zach. Who are you most impressed by in this um, West Indies side? Because uh, they didn't show up at the World Cup last, but they felt like they had something going here and they, they got unbelievable depth in batting. Um, and I think they could go a long way in the next one. Early shout for me. What, what did you think of them initially? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I've really enjoyed lots of the content on on Twitter of people saying, oh, the West Indies players, they turn up when there's a big IPL auction on. And, and, <laughs> and I just think that's, that's really funny. And, you know, obviously it's it's tongue in cheek with the, you know, there's lots of debate in the West Indies about the players who pick playing uh, franchise teams over the West Indies. So, you know, there's lots of tongue in cheek there. Uh, yeah, but Jason Holder, he's kind of since losing the test captaincy has kind of, really kind of taken a step up in one in like one day cricket and, and t20 cricket in particular i think he's going to be a real buy for someone in the in the, in the auction particularly with lots of teams looking for captains as well so be the chris, you know the chris morris-esque player do you think like the batting all round absolutely and then i know the captain bit as well yeah it's a good show yeah I, I think his his he's kind of always been thought of as as quite a he, he's technically sound as a batter but I think his hitting's gotten better and then his his death bowling's gotten better and his you know his his kind of initial swings it a bit he's always been good at that so if he's kind of added in two extra facets to his game then you know really good I think it's a shame Will's not here because Nicholas <laughs> Poran actually did something <laughs> I was just gonna say series. that he's not yeah. here to defend his Poor run is a fraud shout, which I'm going to remind listeners who maybe knew that uh, our other uh, uh, podcaster, Will, thinks that. But he was awesome, actually, Poor run. He actually showed why he's Nicholas Poran. Yeah, his 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 wicket keeping took some questions. I tried to have a look into this earlier and he's he's not he's nowhere near one of the better wicket keepers amongst T20 cricket. Wicket keeping stats is always such a basic thing that there's not much past catch percentage and his isn't very good but his you know his his run getting was pretty good in this tournament his strike rate wasn't amazing but it was okay when you bat with Rothman Powell who uh, averaged 73 at a strike rate of 193 so you know you can have someone who goes a little bit slower if, if someone else can do that so this was England's sort of B plus a minus team I don't know how you want to call it with obviously a few players missing who've been rested who are at the ashes but 
importantly, some players that could have uh, said, hello, why don't you pick me for the first team? And a lot of them haven't. And I'm going to start with the bowling because they need lamenting. It's always felt like England are the worst uh, death bowlers in T20 cricket. And the stats show that now, which is nice. Uh, they are 12th out of 12 uh, when it comes to bowling at the death. Their economy across the series was 12.45 for the West Indies, 10, which is a pretty significant drop off. And I think if you look over the larger trend, um, it's also around that, maybe a little bit less, but significantly more than the rest of the teams. Um, I'm going to pull out the spinners were good. We're going to come on to them in a bit. But let's pull out the pace bowlers where we struggled the most. I'm going to pull out their figures here uh, across the series. So Tamil Mills, 9.1 overs, 1 for 102. Chris Jordan, who really struggled, 13 overs, 1 for 136. George Garton, who got, who got his debut and played one game, at 1 for 57. Uh, Sakiba Mood, who also struggled, got hit for four consecutive sixes across two games, uh, none for 96 off his nine. Uh, and then comparing to someone like Sheldon Cottrell, who bowled 18 overs, four for 136 at 7.55. Well, I think bowled OK this series, not great, but that's an example. That's what OK looks like. Um, all these bowlers are taking less wickets and going at much more for that. So it's a, it's a strange one, isn't it, Glenn? Because I thought we used to be quite good at this. Yeah, really nice summary. Uh, Dan, a one more stat that really underlines this. The game uh, yesterday, England spinners got four for 54 off their 10 overs. England seamers got naught for 122 off their 10. Wow. I, Oof. Yeah, that, that says it all. And that was the overarching theme of the entire series, right? Spin was king and our pace especially was absolutely dismal. Um, it it kind of got off on a bad foot, really, because we were all really excited to see George Garton's um, debut. And this is not for me to just pick him out individually. We'll talk about everyone here. But he got a really nice wicket, lovely delivery, you know, hit the stumps. And that was that was great and energizing and he celebrated and i love that but then it really went downhill for him and he got those figures you mentioned down were really abysmal stuff what was really sad was it was the established players such as your mills and jordan that just looked completely yeah, out of their depth they, they didn't look at an international t20 standard you look at the quality you know even for example we were just we're, we're, we're talking about the psl a lot you look at the quality of some of the boulders in that league we seemed miles behind that and the problem was, Dan, we, they, our pace wasn't getting many wickets and we're just flying around the park. And those sixes speak for themselves. I would love to see a breakdown between how many of those boundaries, how many of those big shots came from pace versus spin. Um, yeah, one thing I would say is that in regards to the pace versus um, spin comparison, it did seem to be pretty much our best three spinners, right? It was our kind of A team for spin. This is the team. Yeah, that, definitely. Livingstone, Ali, Rashid. I genuinely think Rashid is, and I'm sure most people would agree, one of the best spinners in T20 formats in the world. He is exceptionally consistent. That's what I love about Rashid. Moeen bowled really nicely for most of the games as well. And Livingstone, I mean, he just picks up handy wickets. Like, there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be a boundary ball every over that's what you get from Liam Emerson but he spins it both ways and I, I really loved I don't want to get off the, the pace criticism quite yet but I loved that Shepard came in third yesterday with a real plan to try and hit Livingston yeah. out of Barbados <laughs> and he tried <laughs> and he did he was he was there for a fun time not a long time that's for sure but you know that's the thing right the economy was better and our spinners picked up wickets from a pace perspective it was disastrous and yeah you can say it's worth 
you know, including that, you know, we were away from home. And this is this is this is Jason Holder as a player who stood out this series. This is his home ground, his very home ground. This is where he thrives and flourishes. And I'm delighted to see him do well. But with that comes expectations. And in a way, I'm kind of I, this is really good for, for Cricket West Indies to win this series. There's a bit of pressure on them because that was pretty much their first team. Right. So there's lots to be said. But the bottom line is the pace was ineffective. And at the death, we seem to lose the games we lost. Um, apart from the batting collapse, I think the other two you could really attribute to our pace bowlers being completely um, underwhelming and, and, and just not of the races. And it was sad. And yeah, the fact that we had a mix of, of newer and older players, yeah, was unfortunate. Topley, the only one to come out of this with any any kind of respect, I think, sadly. Yeah, I was going to talk about Topley, actually. He finished uh, across the series 312 from 16 overs, going at 7 and over exactly, which is perfect from the kind of bowler he has sort of come back from the dead. Zach, Glenn, you bumped into him in the Oval Station, uh, Tube Station a few months ago, so that's pretty huge. Uh, obviously, um, you've got good juju around you or something, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that was the only place to come out of it. And Glenn, you make a great point that Mills and Jordan are so experienced at this level. Um, I, I think we can give Mahmood uh, and Garton a pass on this one. I think Zach's going to come on and talk about Mahmood in a second um, because they are so young and still learning the ropes. But, yeah, to see... Our gun bowler like Chris Jordan, who's been so good at death bowling for so many years now, I think he's our most decorated bowler in T20 cricket, wickets-wise, uh, to go like that is, is a bit disheartening and a bit confusing as well. Sat here like, hold on, you were really good at this. It's like the skills of death bowling have just left them slightly. I don't know. I'm not a bowling coach. Uh, Zach, Sakiba Moose been misused, in your opinion, um, and you think England aren't quite using him as other teams have across the world? Yeah, I, th- I think consistently across Mahmood's career, he's 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 expensive. So he, he's expensive, but he gets wickets consistently. So I think England have slightly misused him. He's bowled a, a quite a few a fair few overs at the death in this series, just as many as he did in his six games in the Big Bash, which again he was expensive. He was expensive at the death in the Big Bash, but he took loads of wickets in the middle overs, which he didn't bowl one over in the middle overs. In, in in this series and his strike rate in that in that phase and overall is is brilliant his bowling strike rate is under 10 in the middle overs in in the big bash recently and that's you know compare that to if you if you look at the stats across all all list day 2020 cricket overall the best strike rate is Rashid Khan at 11.4 so in that one tournament he was doing better than the best bowlers in the world overall so that's you know it's, a, it's amazing stats but he's been misused slightly. I think we've not quite found the role for Saki Mahmood in, in English cricket. I think everyone's kind of decided he's got something about him where he should play mm. for England. And I think he could do that Liam Plunkett role that takes wickets in the middle overs role in nice. ODI side moving forwards. So I really like the idea of putting him there because in the middle overs, you're not getting hit as much as you are in T20 cricket. But also, if you paired him, like if I was if I was building a franchise team, if I had a, a spinner who was a very defensive spinner who could get me not for 20 pretty consistently, then I would really like to pick up Saqib. But that isn't quite how our bowlers bowl. You know, Moeen's a pretty aggressive bowler, goes for a fair few. Rashid, being a wrist spinner, you go for a, you go for more. Like that's across all cricket. So Saqib. I feel like he doesn't quite fit into this T20 side at the moment. And it's not helped by Mills and Jordan going for loads. Just Jordan missing his Yorkers quite a lot. It doesn't help. So I don't think it's, I think right now, 
I don't think Saqib's right for this T20 side. I hope we can see him in the future. We just need Joffre Archer back, really, don't we? Because Joffre Archer takes wickets in the power play, which England can't do, and he's quite good at the death. So if if Joffre, if you're listening, please, please, just you you haven't let anyone down, which is what he he said he he said in an interview this week. You didn't let oh, anyone no. down. Just come back, stay fit. I don't, you don't need to play Test cricket. Yes. Say that quietly. No, but I I agree. You thoroughly. can do if you're fit enough, but I'd much rather have you in the white ball side for the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, listen, can we 10 years of Joffrey and eat both white ball sides versus like three in all three? Do you know what I mean? That's what it feels like at the minute. But a great point. And it feels like we are just waiting on that. These are the understudies and, and none of them, unfortunately, remembered their lines. I'm going to stick that metaphor. They, they kind of fluffed their lines a little bit, unfortunately. Um, Adil Rashid, I'll talk about really quickly. Uh, he bought 20 overs this series, seven for 115, uh, an economy of 5.75. A lot of chat, correctly so, I think, just saying he is the he is the best spinner we've produced probably since Swan, but I think it could include Swan with his skill. Right, let's move on to talk about the batters before we wrap up this part of the podcast. Um, for me, they all did fine, but I think you know your Bantons, Billings, Vince, Sol, as good as they are and were, they're all understudies to who is eventually going to come back into this team, right? No one did anything for me that's made them go, oh, you're going to push yourself well ahead of Johnny Bairstow. I think potentially Banton could. I know one of you is probably going to argue that now as Somerset fans. And the stats probably back it up as well. But otherwise, yeah. And why was Salt batting at seven? The guy's class. Open with him. Yeah, so so on Banton, I, I've been doing it. I did a little bit of a look into his kind of stats because he, he, he has mainly opened for England. He batted at four a couple of times. And I think it was in the ODI side he was messed around a bit more and was batting at six occasionally. And he's actually, his record's really not that bad since he came into the side. Amongst England openers, so he, he's averages 28, a strike rate of 141 in when he's opened. And he's, I feel like it, that's not a bad record. And he's been written that's off by nice. kind of, He's not been written off, but he's been kind of rubbish by some sectors of the media. <clears throat> Kevin Peterson, because he he seems <laughs> to get out in yeah he seems to get out in silly ways, and he's not been amazing in domestic cricket recently. But he's you know he's really young and has amazing potential. And across that time, Jason Roy has averaged twenty eight at a strike rate of one four one, which is basically the same, which is exactly the same. Yeah. And Bairstow, Bairstow, uh, okay, Roy's played more games, granted, and he's played World Cup games. So, you know, bigger sample size, harder teams. Bairstow at the same time has averaged 21 and a strike rate of 129, but that's also only when he's been opening. So there's some caveats there. Yeah. His record isn't, uh, opening isn't any worse than either of those two. But Butler's record we'll ignore because it's just silly. <laughs> these, are, these are all stats since Banton debuted. If I'm an England selector looking at this series, I don't, I don't think it's that helpful from a batting perspective because mm. what I would find frustrating and what I did find frustrating as a fan is that each of that kind of top six, seven, whichever way you want to look at it, they all had about one good innings in them across the series, right? One kind of standout inning. So Salt came in and hit that just gorgeous 57 of 24. That was the same day, uh, a really exciting game where England did just fall short after being battered around <laughs> all of Barbados. Um, that's when Banton got his imp- very impressive 73 of 39, which included six sixes. Um, and again, you know, Vince looked pretty good in the final uh, in the final game yesterday. Um but yeah, apart from that, yeah, again, from a selector's perspective, yes, there is clear that there is very solid kind of backup talent waiting in the wings. We're all we're all clear on that. But I don't think 
every any of the batsmen really stood head or shoulders above any of the others really across this series, which I'd find a bit frustrating. So I feel for because I don't know. I'll be interested to hear what you both think. I don't think there's much between it for me, whether it's Salt or Banton opening up um, uh, for England in, in the wings. I don't think it gives anyone any good to play Salt at 6-7, wherever he is. That's not his position in domestic cricket. It seems a bit pointless. And the fact that he did get 57 speaks for itself. And it was quite sad that that was followed by, I think, a golden duck in the fourth game because he comes in and he just has to swing. No, Nobody to write home about, but clearly a very talented group of batters would be my takeaway. Yeah, spot on. That's exactly how I feel. I think, like, not learned that much, annoyingly, about any of these. No one's gone, right, thanks for trying, but you're probably not part of this. And no one's gone, right, you're you're in serious contention here. So, interesting, nonetheless. Uh, one last point I want to make uh, as we wrap up this part is Moeen Ali's captaincy. I thought it was very good. Great to see him as captain. Uh, I think the vibes of the team are immaculate when he's in charge. And, and I know Morgan got asked this question last year surrounding his form. The team almost looks better without him. And I don't feel like we lost any. I know Morgan's a fantastic captain. I don't feel like we lost much. And he was the, the bowler's fault, as we've, we've discussed about how we lost these games. So, listen, Morgan's not going to go until the end of the next World Cup at, at the earliest. Um, but Moeen looks like he could, could, could be a good stand-in if he's got another two or three years of international cricket left in him. So that was a little point uh, uh, worth noting as well. Uh, but a great series nonetheless, and England will be back in the Caribbean in March to play some test cricket. So all good fun there. OK, before we round up part one, uh, Zach, let us know what's happened in the BBL, which has just finished, and also in the Under-19s Cricket World Cup. So BBL, pretty unassuming finale. Scorchers won, best team throughout the tournament. They set, uh, they recovered from 25 for four to set 171. Laurie Evans top scoring in that. They bowled the Sixers up comfortably for 92. So congratulations to the Perth Scorchers. On the Under-19 World Cup. In the, we've had the quarterfinals happen in the last week. In the first quarterfinal, we had England beat South Africa and uh, so pretty comfortably. South Africa all out for 209 with uh, Dewalt Brevis top scoring again, scoring a brilliant 97, but no one else doing anything really. We also had, and then England knocked it off very comfortably they were 104 without loss at the end of the power play and ended up getting over the line with six wickets in hand and 18 overs left. Jacob Bethel top scoring with 88 from 42. In the second quarter final, we had a very tight game between Afghanistan and Sri Lanka. Afghanistan only scoring 135 and then Sri Lanka falling four runs short, recovering from 43 for seven, but then, you know, still falling and then having a good partnership and then still falling short. Four runouts in that innings, pretty atrocious. So that is the first semi-final is today, is Afghanistan versus England. And in the other side of the draw, we had Australia-Pakistan, which Australia batted first, got 276, which looked pretty good. Teague Wiley top scored again, and then Pakistan never got close. They were nine, they lost by 119 runs in the end. The, in the final one, we had India-Bangladesh, which was the final last time out, but... India won by five wickets uh, with 20 overs to spare. And that means Australia will play India on Wednesday. And then the final is Saturday. So England-India in the final is my prediction. Ooh. And England are going to win it. Nice one. Thank you for the prediction. Great summary there, Zach, our, our chief rapid summariser here on Rain Stop Play. And with that, that'll be the end of part one. In part two, we'll chat about the PSL. <laughs>
Okay, welcome back to part two of Rain Stop Play. Uh, for this part, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about the PSL. It's been an excellent start of the tournament. Uh, and to help us with that is friend of the pod, Hamad Bazur, who chatted with Glenn and Zach a little bit earlier uh, about this excellent start to the tournament. Hamad, just to get us started, um, maybe for those listeners who, um, maybe for time difference or for whatever other reason, don't know too much about the um, PSL, would you mind just opening up by just briefly explaining its structure, how many teams there are, um, and yeah, how many, I guess, games are going to be played across the next couple of weeks? So uh, the Pakistan Super League is primarily composed of six teams, uh, for one for each of the major cities in uh, Pakistan. Uh, so we have a team for Karachi, Lahore, Islamabad, Multan, uh, Quetta, and then Peshawar, uh, each of these teams. And then uh, the, generally the team selection process goes through a draft process rather than an auction. And players are uh, assigned by uh, their categories. So you have the top high class being something like a platinum ca- uh, category players. And then you have going on down from their uh, gold, silver, uh, and etc. And one of the things that uh, in general for a team composition, you can have up to four overseas players. Uh, and you also have to have an emerging player, which is generally a youngster, local youngster uh, that people feel that might have the talent to progress further on, uh, maybe into the national side and so, so forth. Uh, in general, uh, the schedule looks like that each team will play the other teams at least twice. So each team plays uh, sort of like 10 matches. And then you get point, two points for a win, one point for a draw, and then no points for a loss. And then after that, uh, the top four teams will progress to uh, eliminators. Uh, which is sort of like the first and second play against each other. Uh, the sec- the loser of that gets a second chance by playing the winner of the third and fourth. And then from there, the final two teams will then progress onto the finals. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for that overview. And I guess just, just before we get into what's unfolded so far, and Zach, I want to bring you, this, bring you into this as well. Um, Ahmad, who, who are the players? You mentioned platinum players, which is, uh, which is a, a cool way, uh, a cool way of really, I guess, registering the, the top talent in the league. Um, who have been the biggest players? Um, who, who, yeah, I guess who has signed, um, for the teams that we're most excited to see? I know Baba's around, I know Rizwan obviously is around. Who are the players to watch from each team, team just off the bat? So, uh, a lot of the players that I'll say are sort of like openers, uh, opening batsmen, usually. So, uh, so far we've seen for Quetta, there has been Asan Ali at the top, uh, who was combined with Will Smith, uh, seems to be quite well. Uh, and then from there, ba- uh, Karachi has their typical Sharjil and Babur, Babur being the platinum, of course. Uh, Multan has uh, Shan Masood and Rizwan. Uh, Shan Masood has also been coming up as a big force and seems to be as an opener batsman. He's made 88 in the match that's going on right now. So there's that. Uh, Peshawar, they, so interestingly for Peshawar, uh, they picked an opening batsman called Yasser Khan, who actually plays in the second division in the, in the domestic scene. So he's not necessarily a platinum or anything, and they just picked him up, and he seems to have uh, quite a repertoire of power-hitting shots, apparently. So he's he's had starts, but of course experience being the thing that he's not gotten on to make something really big. Uh, and then after that, you got your typical Islamabad, and they have their hills and Sterling at the top. Uh, but other than that, you also have 
the bowling contingent in the PSL has always been strong, especially on the locally side. So you have Shahad Nawaz Dahani from the previous PSL who's also making it. Uh, you've got your speed guns, Naseem and Hasnan in Quera. Karachi, I think, has fallen behind on that department a bit. Uh, I, I'm not seeing anybody that's expressed pace so far in the matches that they've had. And Islamabad always has Hassan Ali uh, in their repertoire and Peshawar. Uh, tends to all right. I, I actually have not focused a lot on the Peshawar games because they have not tied up in my viewing time per se. Yeah, absolutely. With our time difference, uh, yeah, the first one is is a little bit tricky to uh, to watch. Zach, I saw you nodding a lot when Hamad was talking about some of those real stars. Um, anyone you're particularly excited to see before we get into the nitty gritty of what's happened so far? Yeah, I'm, I mean the the bowling attack for me is the um, the main bowling attack I like is the the Lahore Calendars because they've they've got they managed to get Shaheen Shahfridi and Harris Ralph in in one pace bowling attack, which is amazing. Yeah. And then they've also got Rashid Khan. But then, I mean, getting into the nitty gritty a little bit, they couldn't defend two hundred and six the other day, which was was truly shocking for me. Definitely, definitely. The, we've seen a quite a, so so far. There's, I think the spectrum has been that the chasing side nearly always wins so far. So even if you get something at the 200, and I think we have a couple of games where we have now 119, 200, and those have been chased down uh, with that uh, pretty easily, or at least in the last over, so so to speak. Absolutely. I mean, that leads really nicely um, into what's happened on the pitch so far. Um, Hamad, what teams and games have jumped out for you? I know you're from Karachi. You're a Karachi fan. We're going to hold that just for a moment because I know it's been particularly <laughs> miserable. I've adopted them too, so I feel a, a fraction of your pain. Uh, yeah. What stood out for you on the pitch? It's been a really exciting first couple of days. So in terms of games and players, what's been the highlights for you so far? So... One thing that I've sort of like noticed so far is that uh, the pitches have tend to hold in a bit. So spinners and players who can actually use the pitch to do cutters or slower balls have tend to have profited better as opposed to doing extreme pace. Extreme pace generally tends to get knocked out of the park uh, with the power hitting that is usually on display. Uh, other than that, Multan uh, has been uh, their methodical best. Uh, with the top order firing and then uh, their ballers be doing their work. Uh, Shower has had a good fortune in the middle order. They have a strong middle order with Hussain Salat and Shoaib Malik showing their skill. Uh, Lahore, I would say, good get, uh, Lahore and Quera tend to get a bit unlucky at times uh, in that uh, sometimes a couple of the plants tend to get a bit awry and then uh, that just results in getting them a defeat. Uh, but Quera, uh, so the teams I would guess to look out for will be Multan and Islamabad because Islamabad also always nearly all starts off strong and Multan being the defending champions have also started off, uh, their campaign in a strong suit. Yeah, following on from what you said, Multan have, have looked really good so far. Uh, their opening partnership with Shah Masood and Rizwan has been, you know, quality, both averaging over 60. And then kind of at the death, they've got Tim David, who's averaging really well. And then Kushdil, who's uh, not been dismissed yet, has only faced nine balls and has scored 26 from those nine balls. So it's been going pretty well so far. Multan are kind of the, they're the favourites of the of the stats 
kind of geeks because they they yeah. they adopt a, a data a data based approach. It yeah. was really well covered in um, Ben Jones and Nathan Lehman's book. They did a whole chapter on how I think Nathan was the analyst for them and how they built the team. So if, if anyone uh, gets a chance to read that, it's a really good chapter on how. And they did end up obviously not winning the tournament in the chapter they base it on, but they won the tournament last year and you know very good and. The Rizwan, I, I tweeted about this the other day. Rizwan in, in 2020, Rizwan played one game for Karachi Kings. Yes. And then obviously got let go. And then, you know, now is one of the best yeah. 20 batsmen in the world. So that seems yeah. like a bit of a mistake from, from Karachi. But I suppose it would have been tough for them to keep him with the, with the draft system. Yeah. Uh, I think at the time, what was also happening with Karachi was that they had, I guess, a, too many wicket keepers at the time. They had Chadwick Walton. Uh, at, the, at the time that they were keeping as the overseas player, and then uh, a bit too many stars at times with Karachi Kings in the previous drafts. So uh, I think it's good for Rizwan that he got out and he actually got to lead a side and then lead that side to victory. And that is definitely, I think, done wonders for his game uh, in the as we are going on. Uh, as part of your data analysis, I would say uh, sort of like the top two teams in this league right now, sort of like Multan and uh, and Islamabad uh, have had good data analysis teams. The, they are basically being led by uh, the newest, newest crop of the Pakistan cricket journalist scenes. Uh, uh, Multan is done by Haider Azhar, who also does a TV show on GeoTV and is also very data-driven. And then with Islamabad, you have had Rihan Ulhaq and then Hassan Chima, uh, who are basically obviously very data-driven and very, uh, uh, very methodical with what they do yes you have we have mentioned karachi a couple of times here yeah. uh I, I can't let you off the hook uh hamad <laughs> tell us uh we're invested right so as you know listening to the yeah. pod me and zach are a very keen somerset fans so yeah. it's been a shame to see our boys not particularly represent our county or country particularly well the last couple of games um it's been a disaster uh you know three out of three losses um yeah. First one was especially difficult to take. It was quite one-sided. Um, as yeah. a fan, someone who follows it close, what's gone wrong so far? So, as far as I see, Karachi's middle order does not seem to have the power or the stability uh, that they need. Obviously, at the top, you have Sharjil and Babur. Sharjil is the one who will play shots. He, he is known to give you the far start. And then when he inevitably falls, then you need somebody to keep that power hitting, but at the same time give uh, Babar Azam the chance to actually uh, settle in and actually go about. What I think it seems to be happening with Babar is that he is uh, concerned about the fall of wickets too quickly, so he tends to sort of like clam up, and then uh, as spinners come into the fore and the pitch is actually behaving well for the spinners, uh, he tends to get bogged down. So he hasn't really... Uh, pushed on that he usually does in the international scene. Uh, for a lack of a better word, he hasn't had reliable partners to uh, allow him to amp his scoring grade up. And then uh, in the bowling department, obviously, uh, Imad hasn't played the first couple of games. Uh, and then Mohamed Armour hasn't got in yet, uh, as he's also dealing with an injury. So you don't have your main two spears of the of your bowling attack and then across your the rest of them Umayyad Asif could be the one some somebody you could consider because he's a veteran of the PSL now uh, but on the other hand the other guys are just not that experienced or not that 
uh, special to really give you a great pace attack as compared to the other teams. So even if you get some virtue like a 140 or a 150, which may be considered uh, okay to defend on a wicket like these, you don't get the balling uh, capabilities to actually do that. Yeah, for me from watching them, they've just seemed about, you know, 20 runs short on, mm-hmm. well, particularly, I think it was uh, yesterday when they played and they scored about 170, which it's not a bad score, but it, it seemed about 20 runs short. And then obviously the game before that, they got bowled out for about 110. So yeah. like you say, it, it's that middle order and that, like you say, is, like you put really well, it, it drags Baba back. Because like if you if you looked at Baba's scores, just on the face of his scores, it looks like he's had a really bad start to the tournament. From yes. from his strike rate, obviously he he always scores runs, but like his strike yeah. rate's not been very good. But it's actually that, like you said, his partners haven't been good enough, and the middle order's been really poor. And that includes uh, Lamanby and Gregory from Somerset. Gregory has been bowling at the death for them a bit, and he's he's a terrible death bowler. He, he's not a very good T Twenty bowler overall, and then his his batting hasn't been good enough either. Lamanby, I'm. I'm a bit disappointed so far. Lamanby had an unbelievable uh, last. He's had an unbelievable last couple of years for Somerset. Really, his his kind of, his strike rate in the death overs is like one of the best in the blast for the last couple of years. So him coming here and not being able to do it is, whilst he's a young player, it's not that surprising. I was really mm-hmm. hopeful that he could he could maybe come here and do it. It could just be a bit of experience that he hasn't experienced uh, these kind of wickets yet, uh, specifically in the blast. So uh, he's not entirely sure about how the pace of the wicket is, exactly is. So I think we could give him a bit of time, but I don't know if time is on the side of Karachi right now. Uh, and But speaking of like uh, England players that, that are young and come in, Will Smith, uh, in his first match, he made sort of like a, 90, uh, made a 96-97 for Quetta. Uh, how about that? I think he's like 20 years of age. Yeah, so we, we love him. Uh, he, he did really well, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, in the 100, Zach. I think that's where he really got going in a, I guess, in a bigger kind of uh, public environment with, with the cameras there for all of those games. But yeah, you know, it, it, you, you don't want to give him too many labels, but I'm, I am getting young kind of Josh Butler vibes, I think, from him. He's exciting. He, what I love about him is he can bat for a long time and he can just, he can really measure an in innings. Uh, and the power he's got uh, is just amazing. Zach, what have you thought about this brilliant start? 97 and 30. I mean, you can't get much better than that. It is a brilliant start and he, he's a brilliant play, player, but he, he does really need to develop his, his game against spin because against pace so far, I saw this tweet earlier. He's, he's scored 115, a strike rate of 169. Against spin, he's scored 15 at a strike rate of 44. And, you know, it, he's opening the batting, so he will face, you know, there's a, like a couple overs of spin in the power play and then a decent amount of pace. But he is going to fall short if, if teams know they can target him with spin because they'll just, they'll just bowl spin at him in the power play. So, but, you know, like you say, he's very young, he's very exciting, so he can work through it and, I kind of hope he doesn't get too many games in, in franchise tournaments because he also plays for, for our county Somerset. So I want him to be playing county championship this season. But I don't know. He, he's not he's not been that good at Red Bull cricket in the last couple of years. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. So England players. Interesting that half a dozen of our they're playing after they cancelled uh, 
trip on the international one, uh, which Usman pointed out in, in his Crick Info article, uh, how that smacks uh, in the face of like what that deal has to deal with. But for the most part, and England, England players are actually the most uh, represented in the PSL and part of the contingent. So it's also very uh, hypocritical, it seems like, in there. Uh, but it seems to be that apart from maybe let's say Hales or Smith, uh, they haven't stepped up too much at the, at the, at the time being. Uh, uh, they are mostly brought in for betting. Uh, I guess they're mostly batters are represented in there. So, and given that Karachi has taken most of them, so it doesn't seem like they have, uh, really accomplished that much at this point. Yeah, the the players who are there haven't haven't been haven't been amazing. Other than like you say, Smead been pretty good. Hales has played one game and hit eighty two, not out from fifty four. So that's pretty good. The rest of them, Duckett's a bit disappointing. Samit Patel has bat, his batting's been okay, but he's not had much of a chance to bat. And then his bowling, he's gone at like fifteen and over. He yeah. he hasn't bowled that many overs, so you know it's a very small sample size. But still, it is worth well, noting that there are. I think five or six of the players who just finished playing in in the T20I series against West Indies who will be coming. Yeah. So yeah. I would expect those players who obviously are playing for England, so are a higher calibre of player, mm-hmm. you could say. So I'd expect mm-hmm. them to do better. I think Saqib Mahmood's been really good in this tournament in the past and yeah. wasn't wasn't great in the uh, in in the T20I series. So hopefully he can find some form. I think Liam Livingston's coming as well. And I know Moen Ali definitely is. So some exciting players to come. Yeah, I did say there were most of them were batsmen, but there are a couple mm. of bowlers like Reese Topley is right now playing for Multan. He seems to be oh, doing yeah, fine. That'll be really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm really interested to see how he goes, actually. I completely forgot he was coming. And for yeah. Multan as well. Oh, great stuff. I think because uh, David Willey is, is currently playing for Multan and he's he's doing OK, but he's not... He's his, his like his economy rate's been okay, but he's known for just taking wickets at the top, and I think he's taken one wicket so far. So, you know, it's not it's not what they bought him for. Totally, totally. It could be, and and also he's predominantly known as a swing bowler as well. I would say so, uh, and that hasn't been really much right now. Uh, so mm. that could be the case that he's not being as effective as he usually is, uh, and then maybe in the Lahore leg he might be more effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really interesting to see, I guess, the players who are coming over from the T20 series, how they adapt to very different conditions, say in Barbados, uh, to the tournament we're talking about here. One final question, Hamad, just to, just to wrap this up. Be really interested to hear your thoughts just, just, I guess, on the, um, tournament's future. So it's, it's relatively new, I guess, in, in kind of T20 tournament terms. It's, uh, inaugural season was 2016. So fresher yeah. than quite a few tournaments, not all of them, of course, but yeah. what, w- what do you see in terms of, uh, I guess, growth and development for the league? Do you see this structure remaining the same, this kind of draft system, these six teams, or do you see anything changing in the seasons to come? Maybe more franchise, well, more teams, not franchises, anything along those lines? So one of the things that uh, at least I would like to really see uh, about the league is to get more stadium, more grounds up placed into this, uh, and more specifically get started with the home and away ground systems that you see in other leagues. 
because that without without that you're not going to get much uh, upkeep in terms of brand recognition and, and that within the league itself. Um, I don't particularly see more teams being added right now, at least not until uh, you have your Imran Khan at, as a patron because he's not the fan of many teams uh, diluting the pool. Uh, and then there's also a, con- a prospect of like whether the franchise owners are making their money back and something. So having and they have been generally been a bit against having more teams in the tournament because that sort of like dilutes their revenue pool. Uh, but uh, I think the draft system works uh, pretty well. There were say you tend to see teams that tend to retain some core of their players and then experiment with other ones. Uh, like Multan, I think, has done a lot of their, retained uh, a lot of theirs. Islamabad did a couple of swaps. They got in Azam Khan for Iftikhar, who they gave up to Quetta, and then, and so on and so forth. So I don't particularly see the draft system going away uh, at the moment. Uh, but definitely this, uh, the league could benefit from having more grounds to play in so that there are more people who are engaged in because uh at least famously at one of uh, at least in our local group uh uh people are not fans of uh, seeing uh, play, uh matches in Karachi it seems like because there's not been a lot of attendance at least not at the level of what Lahore usually does uh, but that's a, sort of like a symptom of where the Karachi stadium actually is and how difficult it is to get there uh the city dynamics for that a really interesting point. I really like the because yeah, because they're doing it in Karachi and then and then they'll move. And I know it's, it could easily be a symptom of COVID, but it, it's something yeah. they've done in the past. If they can get a home and away, so if you go to a game in Multan, you are going to a you're going to a Multan Sultans game. You know, yeah. that's what you want, isn't it, to build the brand around the cities. And yes. it's going to be hard for people in Karachi to want to go to games if there's a game on every day in Karachi or two games on every day in Karachi over the weekend and stuff. Yeah. If yeah. they have a game every, you know, once a week, because say, say they're playing twice a week and they, or yeah. say they're playing three times a week and they have one or two games at home a week, it's much more likely to get for actual, like, local fans to come. And yeah, I really yeah. like that. I, I like the, the six teams is good. I think for me, it's the, it's the second highest quality, you know, T20, T20 league around the world. It's overtaken, in the last couple of years, it's overtaken the big bash and it's always been above the kind of CPL. And it's, you know, it shows the kind of depth in Pakistan T20 talent, and it you know the amount of pace bowlers, the amount of bowlers that bowled over one one forty kilometers an hour already is just is insane. Yeah, the factory is now in hyperdrive. It seems like <laughs> <laughs> it usually is. Well, yeah, that's probably a really nice note to end on. And it was great to see Pakistan do so well in the. In the T20 World Cup, just gone and exciting times ahead um, for the for the next international tournament as well. So definitely a team to watch, definitely a tournament to watch as well. All three of us are really enjoying what's uh, what's unfolded so far and is shaping up to be a really really competitive couple of weeks of cricket. So Ahmad, thank you so much for joining us. Real pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was great talking to both of you uh, about the PSL and hopefully uh, we can keep that fire going on as the tournament progresses. Brilliant. Thank you to Hamad for joining us there. Really interesting chat about the PSL um, and a lot more of that to come. So keep your eye on it. We'll have a special pod rounding up the whole tournament as well uh, in, in a few weeks' time. OK, Zach, uh, as we always do here on Rainstop Play, to round off this week's pod, it's your quick question 
first could you remind us of last week's question and we can chat about the answer to it so the last week's question was related to the teams that competed in the first ever cricket world cup and i said there were seven women's teams competing coming from five nations and could you name them so those five nations were england australia new zealand which they were three relatively obvious ones, I think. And then the other two were the kind of ones in there to, to stump you, which is Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica, who obviously oh. would have played would have played now as the West Indies. The other two teams were an international 11, which I presumed would be filled with uh, players from other cricketing nations, but no, it was just filled with other English and Australian people, basically. And then there was a young England side, which was under 25s, and they finished bottom. That's a good one, though, because I tell you, I think I can't remember whether it was on the recording or not now. But I think we started getting into geopolitics and like when did colonial Africa start to break up and would these teams, these teams exist anymore? So it was just some Caribbean islands and some younger teams. Excellent. Uh, good question. If you got that right, please do tweet us at rain.pod. I'll be very impressed because I certainly didn't. Uh, and to leave us for this week, Zach, what's this week's question? The ICC, which is now known as the International Cricket Council was originally founded as a name that's acronym is the same as it is now. So it was, it's always been the ICC, but it's not always been the International Cricket Council. What was it originally founded as? Good. That's a good pub quiz. That was like a pub quiz host as well, the way you asked that. I like it. Okay. What what did the ICC used to be called? Simple as that. Glenn, any, any early ideas? The, the interesting cricket community. <laughs> uh, great question again, Zach. Thank you very much. That will about wrap it up for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Glenn, thanks for joining us as always. Thank you. I think I've been here literally all day parked in front of <laughs> Skype, so I've had a really good day. Brilliant. And Zach, we'll see you next week. Thank you. See you next week. I'm less enthusiastic than Glenn, but that's fine. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Until then, goodbye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.